Anybody want to share the lamest excuse you've ever heard about anything? Say that again. And the excuse for what? Oh, nice. Yeah, ladies. If a guy cancels a date because he says he has to wash his hair, mm, not good news. Not good news. I, uh, someone told me this morning the lamest excuse he's ever heard for not doing homework was, I had a rash. Couldn't do my homework, had a rash. Dog ate it. Lamest excuses. Today we're going to look at, at a guy in the Bible, Joseph. Not the guy from the Old Testament, not Joseph, you know, who went to Egypt and so on. We're going to look at Joseph, Mary's husband, man who raised Jesus. Because he must be the guy who seemingly got the lamest excuse in all of human history. The most outrageous, seemingly ridiculous and blasphemous excuse ever. And I love, I love preaching on people in the Bible on biographies. I love biographies, period. I've already hinted to my wife that I would like George Bush's biography. Not because I necessarily like him, it just interests me. I like biographies. I like biographical movies, and, and I love preaching on, on people, on, on characters in the Bible. I like it because it's, it's real. There's, there's realness there. Obviously, if we read biographies, sometimes they're a little warped, especially if they're autobiographies. They're a little spun sometimes. But you still get a lot of reality. They're very practical. You can look at someone's life and you can look at the good and you can look at the bad. You can look at the good decisions, the, the bad decisions, and you can learn from both. And that's true for Bible characters either. Just because they're in the Bible doesn't mean they're perfect, unless they're called Jesus. Um, and then, you know, you have biographies. Sometimes it's, it's kind of weird when you have an 18-year-old write an autobiography, you know, Justin Bieber, Memories. Um, well, I don't know. I just uh, saw a German um, gymnast, a 23-year-old German Olympic gymnast, write an autobiography. I don't know. We'll see. But today we'll look at a guy whose life is well worth looking at. And he's a guy that's not often looked at. Has anybody ever heard a message on Joseph, actually? Again, Joseph, the husband of Mary. In 37 years of my existence, I literally cannot recall ever hearing a single message on Joseph. So I'm really excited to give the first message on Joseph that I'll ever hear. So we'll, uh, we'll have a look at that together. Often we, uh, we focus on Mary. Throughout church history, there's been a lot of focus on, on Mary as the, the mother of God, the woman who conceived through the Holy Spirit and gave birth to Joseph, uh, to, to Jesus and raised him. And then throughout the, the Gospels, throughout Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we see her at different times. She's there at important moments. She's certainly there um, at, at the crucifixion. And so we know a little bit more about her. To me, it's very strange that there isn't more focus given on Joseph in Scripture. Really, all we have is Matthew chapter 2. That's pretty much all we have, um, and a little bit in Luke also, on Joseph. And I'm surprised because in, in that culture that Jesus grew up in, that, that ancient Jewish culture, it's centered around men. It's centered around the father. The family's centered around fathers. Sons were actually called, I mean, they had a name, but they would be called son of so-and-so. So as Jesus grew up by the people outside of his family, he probably would have been called Ben-Joseph a lot, son of Joseph. He would have been known as the son of Joseph, the carpenter in Nazareth. 
And not just was the, the, the father the central figure, we know today even that how important a father is in the upbringing of children. Not that mothers aren't, but there is a special importance that God seems to have given a father in the role of bringing up our children. And it's not for nothing that, that in Scripture God is often called our father, that, that there is a comparison drawn between the relationship that we as fathers are supposed to have in mirroring God in our relationships. If, if it's right, it's a huge responsibility Yet we don't know much about Joseph, but he was the earthly father who had the responsibility of raising Jesus. He had the earthly responsibility of modeling what a man was supposed to be. He had a huge influence in who Jesus would become as an earthly man. It's, it's really weird to, for me to, to, to understand, and we probably can completely, that Jesus was all man and all God, and so obviously God the Father had, had a plan for him. But somehow, Joseph of Nazareth was part of that plan. He was supposed to be part of the plan of who Jesus would become as a man. And yet there's very little said about him. But there's more than we think. As I prepared for this, I got really, really excited about this. And so I want to read uh, Matthew verse, uh, chapter 1, verses 18 through the end of chapter 2 with you. It's a longer passage, but it is what we have on Joseph. And so I want to read that with you before we uh, then dive into it. So if you have your Bible with you, open it up, Matthew chapter 1, but we also have it up on the screens. I'll start in verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. And we'll continue in chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from, from the east, did I say that right? Magi, 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 from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where's the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. 
After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel to the Lord of the Lord appeared to Joseph again in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets. He was called a Nazarene. A longer passage than than we're used to. But I want to get back to briefly the the beginning and the the event of him finding out about Mary's pregnancy. In the skit that we heard, um, he seemed to be be all in right away and have no issues with with what he was hearing. But I just want us to realize the people we read about are real people with real feelings. They're humans. And can you just, you guys out there, say you're, you're engaged to the woman of your, of your life. You can't wait to spend the rest of, her life, of your life with her. And, and she comes up to you and says, hey, we got to talk. Something's happened. And so you, you get together and you, you sit down and, and she tells you, I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm pregnant. I mean, can you just... And I imagine some of you might have gone through that, whether that's with a fiancé or, or a spouse. It is devastating. Absolutely devastating. Obviously, the assumption is, is unfaithfulness and, and an affair. And I mean, can you imagine what that did to Joseph's heart? I can only begin to imagine what that would have done to my heart. And then... She says, yeah, but it wasn't another guy. It was the Holy Spirit. I mean, at this point, seriously, what do you do as a guy? What do you do? Hello? Your life out there? What do you do? You walk out. You slam something. You throw something. You yell something, right? I mean, sometimes scripture doesn't give us all the details. It just tells us things. And yeah, and so he was like, okay. Well, I'll just divorce her quietly. I mean, can you imagine the thoughts, the anguish, the despair and the grief and the pain that went into Joseph's thought process? 
during that time. I imagine that he, he just needed some time away and to think about this and, gosh, what, are, what am I going to do here? Not just is she pregnant, but she's given me the lamest excuse of all of history. And eventually he comes to the conclusion that, um, that he's just going to deal with this quietly. But he's come to the conclusion, what? Obviously he's come to the conclusion, she's had an affair and she's lying to me about it. Why else would he want to divorce her quietly? So his decision was made up, this, this isn't going to work, obviously. And you know, he had lots and lots and lots of options of what he could have done. I love how he is described here. It says that Joseph was a righteous man. He was righteous. You know what that means, righteous in the Bible? What does it mean to be righteous? It means to be, to be right, right? Right how? Right, right with what? There's lots of other men in Scripture described as righteous, and women. Some, some of them are Noah. Noah was described as a righteous man. Another guy that was described as righteous was Abraham. Job. Another guy in the Old Testament was described as a man who was righteous before God. David, King David was described as a righteous man, a man after God's own heart. In the New Testament, John the Baptist, who prepared Israel for the coming of Jesus, was described as a man who was righteous. So what, what makes them righteous? Noah was willing to build a huge ship in the middle of land, when, according to scripture, it hadn't even ever rained up until that point in history. So he, just, he built a ship to the ridicule of everyone around him. Abraham is a man who, because God told him, took everything he had and left his hometown and moved into, into no man's land, not even knowing where God was sending him. Job was a man who was humiliated in front of his friends by by losing everything and being sick and it was viewed as God's judgment and he held on to God. David was a man who was willing to, to follow God. He had a heart that was willing to listen and obey, made lots of mistakes too. Actually, all of these men made lots of mistakes. Noah allowed his sons to get him stone drunk and do silly things. Job dared shaking his fist at God. Abraham lied to the king of Egypt about Sarah being his wife so that to avoid trouble. David committed adultery and then killed the woman's husband so that he could keep her to cover it up. I mean, none of these guys were perfect. John the Baptist, he ate cockroaches. Okay. Anyway, he was still righteous. What made these men righteous? Why were they called righteous? Why was Joseph called righteous they were not perfect Joseph wasn't perfect all made mistakes you know what made them righteous it's not what they necessarily did or didn't do what made them righteous was that they were right with God they were right in their relationship with God they were right in that they submitted to God they were right in that they were all in with him that they would do what he would ask at the expense of ridicule and comfort. 
And Joseph of Nazareth was described as a righteous man. Described as a righteous man in the midst of this situation that he was facing with his fiancée being pregnant seemingly from another man. I would have been furious. There's no way I could have moved on from that. And he would have had every right to publicly humiliate her. He would have had every right actually to have her publicly prosecuted. He would have had every right by the law of the time to actually have her executed. That was Joseph's right. But even in his disappointment, in his devastation, and in his own humiliation as a result of this, even before he knew what was really going on, he was already going to do the right and the honorable thing. That's the mark, one of the marks of a righteous man. He was going to do this without humiliating her, without having her prosecuted. Joseph was a righteous man. He did the right thing, not just because he had a good heart. He did the right things because he was right with God. He was in a right relationship with his heavenly father. Another thing we, that jumped out at me, in, in this, especially in this chapter 2, well, beginning also in chapter 1, and then all throughout chapter 2, every time Joseph is mentioned here, we see that he is not just righteous, but that he is sensitive to God's voice in his life. There's four incidents, there's actually five, where God speaks to him, apparently very clearly. How does he speak to him in this? Every single instant, did you catch that? What was the mode of communication that God used with Joseph? It was a dream. Each time, God spoke to him in a dream. But you know, before you can be sensitive and hear God's voice, you've got to be willing to hear God's voice. You've got to be willing to receive truth from him. And Joseph was willing to hear from God. And that's not an easy thing, is it? To hear from God? There is countless books on finding the will of God and hearing God's voice. And there's conferences all over the country where you can, that you can go to and hear lectures and seminars on how, how do we hear from God. And I got to tell you, it's probably the question I hear most from people in this church. When I sit down with people, with you, hear, Christian, how do I know God's will for my life? How do I hear from him? It's not an easy thing, is it? In Scripture, it, it seems so easy. Well, God spoke, and Joseph did. God spoke, and Noah built a boat. And God spoke, and Abraham left his home country. And, and it just seems so clear and automatic. It, do you experience it that way? Have you had a writing on the wall? Have you heard an audible voice of God? Well, maybe some of you have. But it's not an easy thing, is it? It's a lifelong process, it seems, to, to learn to hear from God. It seems like Joseph knew how to hear from God. And I think it's something that has to be learned. And it's, it's not a cookie-cutter approach. My experience is that, that God speaks to all of us differently. He spoke to Joseph in dreams. I know in my life he speaks to me often through seeming coincidences, through, through timing of things. Well, I just know all of a sudden, say, wait, 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 wait. Something's, 
something's going on, something's happening here, certain sequence of events that seem to play into each other or that catch my attention. That's usually how God begins to speak to me. And then I'm just really thick-headed. I just need him to speak sometimes with a hammer over my head and, and signs and literally just intervene in certain areas. But it's whatever it is for you, we'll speak a little bit about that more. It needs to be cultivated and trained and learned. Because if, if God starts speaking to you and you begin to ignore it and you continue to ignore it, you will stop hearing from him. I heard a great illustration of this one time. God's, God's speaking to us is almost like speaking to us through a window. Imagine a window in your house that a lot of light shines through into your, into your house, into your room, your living room. If you stop cleaning that window, the light's going to get dimmer and dimmer and dimmer, and eventually there's, there's nothing that's going to come through there. And that's what we do by, by learning to hear God's voice and by responding to it, we keep that window in our life clean. If we're willing to, to hear from him, and at, at, at first that sometimes might be a little trial and error. We might be off base sometimes, but better off base than not, not at all, not trying at all. If you think God's speaking to you, respond. And it might start really small, but respond. Because if you respond, you, you keep that window clear for God's light to shine through. And the more you respond in the little things, the more he will tell you bigger things and ask you to do bigger things. I imagine that God asking Joseph to marry his pregnant fiance is not the first time he heard from God. That would be a really big thing. (laughs) The first big ask, wouldn't it? It seems to me that Joseph had learned how to hear from God. He knew God spoke to him in dreams. And by the way, I know people here who hear from God in dreams. But he knew to differentiate whether that was God speaking or his own heart and mind speaking. You know, when, and I know I've talked, if I start boring you with our moving to Salt Lake, just tell me and I'll stop, then this is the last time. But I want to tell you a little bit how we heard from God to move to Salt Lake from Germany. When, when Dave first asked us if we would consider this, it was out of the question for us. My wife especially, you know, she's French. She really, she's very French. She really didn't want to move to the States. Don't hold that against her. But uh, okay, if you have to. No. So when I told her, when I showed her the email, you know what she said? Ah, delete it. Literally. She told me to delete an email from Dave Nelson. Can you imagine? And then we had a conversation with Dave, and, and Sandrine was very clear. She said, Dave, we're Europeans. We love Jesus. There's such a need here. Why would we go to Salt Lake City? I mean, it makes no sense. Our daughter has certain needs that are met here, and we just don't think we can do this right now, and the timing isn't right. And this is what Dave challenged us with. He just said, we don't want to recruit you away. If this is where God has you, we don't want any, any, anything to do with it. But would you pray, would you just ask God to either confirm it or to do what you think is impossible and, and to ask you to do what doesn't seem to make sense? And I'll tell you, we, we lived in a community in southern Germany where there were a lot of American missionaries who had moved into that area because of the great spiritual need in Europe. I had some of my missionary friends literally attack me because how could they respond to God's call to Europe where the great need is so great and I bail out and go to the states where it's seemingly so much easier spiritually. 
So it, it didn't seem to make sense to us. It didn't seem to make sense to a lot of friends. It seemed impossible timing-wise. And so we just asked God, said, God, we, we want to be where you want us. And we had had enough experience in our life with, with hearing God's voice and responding to it. Lots of experience with ignoring it too and disobeying it. But we, we had come to the point in our walk with him. I would say, as, as Joseph was there, where we would say, God, if what you want is what we want, just tell us. Just tell us. And, and he did. I mean, there were uncanny things that would happen, that a K2 symbol would just show up in places. And anyway, it, it became so clear to us. God spoke so clearly into our situation that this is where he wanted us that it would have been outright disobedient. We would have simply just said, God, we know what you want, but we don't care. When, we, when I came here to interview, and, and I remember speaking for the first time in the red box on taking steps of faith, and anyway, we came here knowing God called us here. I knew we were coming. I didn't tell Dave because I didn't want to put that pressure on him, but we prayed, God, if, if you want us here, confirm it unanimously to whoever makes that decision. Let there not be a single one unsure. And, that's, and, it, and it happened. And God spoke clearly. And here we are. But we have to learn to how God speaks to us. For me, it's circumstances often. For Joseph, it was dreams. What is it for you? Do you know? Do you know how God speaks to you? How he speaks to your heart? How he speaks into your life? Because you have got to discover it. Because he wants to speak to you. He has spoken to you. Have you recognized it? Joseph was a righteous man who was sensitive to God's voice. And we all need to learn how God speaks to you. We need to learn to hear his voice in our lives. But you know, it's not enough to, to hear God's voice. It wouldn't have been enough for Joseph to know God spoke to him in that dream. What was necessary after he heard from him? He had to respond to it. He had to respond. And Joseph, in each of these incidences that we're going, I'll go through them real quick in this chapter here. In each incident that God spoke to him in a dream, Joseph responded in obedience. Here, it, it all, each time it's so matter-of-factly. God spoke, and he did. God spoke, and he went. And God spoke, and he packed up his family and did it. I am sure there, there was wrestling with that each time. But he did. He was obedient. He didn't just recognize God's voice. He responded to it. And again, I am sure that his response of obedience is the result of lots and lots of experiences, of lots of trials, lots of errors maybe in responding to God's voice. See, your obedience will grow increasingly because your trust will grow increasingly as you start responding to God's voice. It's going to take a step into the unknown, a step of faith to say, okay, I think this is you, God. I'm going to respond to this. I'm going to do this, actually. (laughs) I'm going to listen to this voice in my head. This is weird, but I'm going to do it. And as you do it, you step into God's plan for history. And as you do that, you will be used by God and you will see God do things through you, the almighty God, the creator of the universe, using you in his plan with humanity. And as you do this and as you then see God respond to your obedience, you will see, wow, 
this, this works. I can trust this voice because it's God's voice. I can trust God when he speaks to me and asks me to do things. And your trust will grow. Area where I've seen that illustrated beautifully this last year is with our son Kobe, whom we adopted last year in November. He came out of a, a single mother household in an inner city out of horrible circumstances. One room, no electricity. He was very lethargic. And just, he would literally lay down on the floor in our house and forever would just have a little car. He would lay on his side and just roll the car back and forth. Just like that. And, and if we hadn't stopped, he would have done that for hours. Just sit. I mean, he, he wasn't used being played with. He wasn't used being interacted with. And, and uh, if you've been around us at all as a family, we're loud and we're wild. And I have two boys that are 10 and 12 who are even louder and wilder than the rest of us. And, and uh, at the beginning with Kobe, if I would just put him on my lap, and we have this German thing called Hopper Hopper Reiter, where you just bounce on your knees, and then you let him fall off and catch him, and I, if I would just rock him on my lap like this, he would freak out, literally get mini panic attacks, and just, he couldn't handle the physical excitement <laughs> of being rocked. If I would lift him just above my head, you know, affectionately, and he, he would just clamor to, to grab my neck and, and be held close. He When we went on vacation this summer and there was a pool, I mean, he just, he could not get himself into the water. And if, when we went in with him, I mean, he would claw so tight, I'd get bruises almost. Just fear, because there was no trust yet. If I told him, Kobe, jump, I'll catch you. He, he couldn't respond to that because he, he had never experienced this kind of relationship where he could trust and, and step out in faith. But by the end of, of this summer, and especially our time on vacation together, he, he had, has now grown into a young man who will stand on the backboard of our bed and just jump into my arms, or he'll jump off his brother's bunk bed onto a mattress on the floor, and he'll ask me to throw him up into the air and catch him. You know why? Because he's learned that he can trust me. And he's learned that when I ask him to do something that he might not do on his own, that, that he can do it because I'm going to be there. See, and that's what God wants to do with you and me. That's what he's literally doing when he's asking you to do things that, that scare you. That's like me asking Kobe, the little three-year-old kid, to jump in this pool, just jump in. He, he can't imagine that there's anything safe or fun about it. <laughs> But once he actually did it, he couldn't stop doing it because he just loved jumping into that cold water and splashing around and me throwing him up and catching him again. And I'm telling you, that's what the experience is going to be and better spiritually when we start responding to God's call to jump in. It is going to be so much fun and such an experience of being part of, of God's family and part of his plan of history that it's going to become easier and easier. But he's also going to ask more and more. Joseph was a righteous man who knew how to listen to God's voice and who was obedient. The incidences we read about here is, he asked him, first of all, yeah, go ahead, marry your pregnant girlfriend. It's actually from me. She was right. So he hears this in a dream. Can you imagine dreaming about this and waking up the next morning and saying, oh, Oh, yeah, okay, Mary. Hey, uh, it's, it's all good. 
full, full force ahead. I'm all in. He knew it was God speaking. There's no way otherwise he would have done it. So he, he responded. And as, the res- as a result, it says, prophecy was fulfilled. In verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. As a result of Joseph's obedience in this prophecy, God's plan was fulfilled. The next time God speaks to him is, don't go back home. Go to Egypt. Did you know that Jesus in the first few years of his life was a refugee? Him and his family fled to Egypt. In a dream, again, Joseph hears from God, don't go back, don't stay where your ancestors are, don't stay here where your family lives, don't stay where, you, where you're comfortable, where you are known and where you know people, go into a country with a different language and a different culture, you need to go, you need to protect this child. And he responded. Then they're there, and after it is safe to come back, again, God speaks to him in a dream, says, Joseph... It's safe to go back. Now, he was a man, he was a father who loved his child and was worried about his safety. Because of a dream, he trusted that his son would be safe if he would go back. And as a result, again, prophecy was fulfilled. The prophecy that the Messiah would be called out of Egypt. Then he he actually, it seems like he was planning to go back and move to Bethlehem. But it wasn't safe in Bethlehem because... One of the sons of Herod was there who was probably still worried about his power and authority. And again, in a dream, God speaks to him, don't go to Bethlehem. I want you to move to to Nazareth. And so he responds to to that. And the result again is the fulfillment of prophecy, that the prophecy that he would be called a Nazarene, that the Messiah would be called a Nazarene became true. You see a pattern here? Because Joseph was obedient... God's plan was fulfilled. God's plan that he had had all along was fulfilled each time Joseph was obedient. Joseph was all in. And because he was all in, God's plan and prophecy was fulfilled. Joseph had a chance to be part of the greatest story in history. Because he was willing to listen to God's voice and willing to respond to it. Because he was all in. Now you and I can't be the father of the son of God anymore, the earthly father. But you know what? God is not done writing the greatest story in history. God is still writing history. And God is still wanting to include you and me in his story. Now, God's purpose will happen. God's plan will happen. His plan doesn't depend on you and me. But your part in it, your integral part in it, depends on you and me. I don't know about you, but I want to be part of God's story. I want to be part of the history that God is writing. But that can only happen if I learn to hear his voice, if I learn how he speaks to me, if I respond to it in obedience. You know, you can be part of God's story. God wants each and every one of you to be an integral, important part of the history that he's still writing, of the story that he is going to tell. The question is, are you going to be a character in that story? 
Are you going to be a character that's going to be called righteous? Are you going to be a character who was sensitive to, to hearing God's voice? Are you going to be a character who, that responded and was willing to be all in and, and give up comfort and reputation? And you know, being all in doesn't require you to go into full-time ministry. You know, Joseph wasn't a pastor, preacher, minister. Joseph was a carpenter. He was a carpenter in Israel. And he had learned to hear God's voice. God wants to speak to you. He wants to speak to you whether you are a student whether you are a truck driver, whether you are a doctor or a lawyer or a businessman, a salesperson, whether you are a stay-at-home mom, whether you are a school teacher, whether you are employed or unemployed, God wants you to be an integral part of his story. He wants to speak to you, into your life, into your situation, into your job, into your family, into your marriage, into your parenting. And he has things for you to do wherever you are. God doesn't just speak to me. He doesn't just speak to ministers and pastors. He wants to speak to all of us. In obedience to him, doing what he asks is all of our responsibility and privilege. And let me remind you and encourage you hopefully with it again it starts with little steps he's not gonna the first thing he's gonna ask you is not gonna be to move to bangladesh tomorrow i think <laughs> maybe <laughs> there's usually a progression he's gonna start asking you with little things learn to hear it and learn to respond to it and enjoy the ride that he's gonna take you on Joseph of Nazareth was all in. And he was all in against all odds. He submitted his life, obviously, to the God he knew and loved and to his greater plan. He listened and he acted upon it. And the result was that a simple carpenter in Galilee became an important part of God's master plan. He actually got to be the human father of Jesus Christ. And God is still pursuing his master plan and is looking for people who are willing to be all in. I want to read a verse from, to you from Second Chronicles. Verse 16. Chapter 16, verse 9. It says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. You know what that tells me? If I had to uh, paraphrase that today, Christian's version of Second Chronicles 69 is, God is still looking for people that are all in. He's still looking for people who are all in so that he can give them everything it takes to be all in. That's what Second Chronicles 69 says. Right now, his radar scan is, is scanning Salt Lake City scanning this room, looking for people who, like Joseph, are saying, I'm going to be all in. I'm going to be all in with you, God. I'm going to put my, my reputation and my comfort on the line, 
and I want to be obedient to you because I still want to be part of your great master plan. I'm going to ask the band to come out. And he's looking for simple people. He's looking for you to learn to hear his voice. He's looking for you to be willing to respond to his voice. He's looking for you to be part of his continued master plan. Are you all in?